I'd like to introduce my message this morning with an illustration from the world of science. Are you ready? Who can tell me what potential energy is? What is potential energy? Surely somebody knows. Energy, you can just yell it out. What is potential energy? Okay, stored energy, energy that is yet to be released. Uh, for example, I have two pieces of wood here. I have a piece of wood that has been in the fire for a few hours and a piece that has not. Which of these has more potential energy? Who votes for this piece of wood? Yeah, you'd be right, because it has more energy yet to be released. This wood has released a lot of its energy already. How about this? Another illustration of potential energy. I have two balls here. All right, if I hold one here and I hold one here, which has more potential energy? You vote for this one? You'd be right, because it has more energy to be released. If I drop it, it will have more impact when it hits the ground. Imagine that these are bowling balls, just to make the illustration a little more dramatic. Which would hurt worse if you dropped it on your foot? Yeah, this one, because it has more what? More potential energy to be released. Now, here's what I want you to consider. Every person who comes into this world has potential. Isn't that true? There's a certain amount of energy that could be released from your life. And the most natural thing in the world is when a parent holds their little baby and thinks, oh man, I hope my baby grows up, my son or my daughter. I hope they, they uh, find out who God is, that they become all that God created them to be. That's a way of saying, I hope this child reaches its what? Yeah, potential. And listen, I'm really glad our students are here this morning. Students, listen up. This message is really important for you guys because my hope and my prayer, and I know I echo this for your families and for our church family, we want you to live up to your potential because God has placed potential in you that he wants to bring out, draw out, and use so that you can make a difference with your life. Because this is our experience. When you know somebody who has lived well, somebody who made their life count, somebody who impacted a lot of people around them, what do we do at the end of their life? We celebrate. This past Monday, uh, a pastor that I worked with for quite a few years, and my wife Chris worked with him as well, his name is George Polachek. He was a pastor of Wellington Church for a number of years. He died on Monday. And Chris and I had the opportunity to visit with him in hospice a few days before he died. And we were there with his wife and some other friends just telling stories of George's life and how he made such an impact on us. It was George who first encouraged me to leave my job as a firefighter and think about God calling me to be a pastor. He changed the trajectory of my life, and that was true for so many people. And so as we told these stories, there was joy because George tapped into the potential that God placed in him. He realized that potential. But we know the flip side, don't we? When somebody comes to the end of their life and there is this sadness because they never did reach the potential that God placed in them. They could have done so much more with their gifts and their abilities and their life. And so church, I have a couple of questions to ask you this morning. The first is this. How much unrealized potential is there in you right now? I mean, how much more love and compassion and energy and accomplishment could God release from your life to make a difference in the lives of other people? And of course, the second question is, well, okay, how does that happen? 
And let me say this, when I look out at our church family, I am convinced that this church has enormous, unrealized potential. Now listen, I, I believe that you know, God has, has used us to do amazing things. I'm thankful for the ministry of this church over the years, but I know this, that there's a lot more yet to be done for the glory of God and the good of our neighbors. Because when a church really understands how this works, it pushes us into a new a new chapter, a new level of being used by God and bringing glory to his name. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. And I've got to tell you, I'm very excited about this message. And I'm excited because God is speaking to us through his word. Now, we've been talking about stories in the Old Testament. We're going to look at a story in God's book about how to reach our potential. And it comes from 1 Samuel. We're going to look at different stories, little snapshots in the life of King Saul, the first king of Israel. Now, often when God puts stories in this book, they're intended to show us who we can become, to show us how to make our life count. And, and I'm really thankful because as you read the stories in this book, they are real. The, the people in this book struggle with life just like we do. They struggle with their marriages. Parents struggle with their kids. They struggle financially. They, they struggle with, with doubt, with, with anger, with anxiety, with addictions. I mean, it's right here. This is an authentic book. And sometimes... As we read these stories, God is saying this, hey, imitate their faith, because they were imperfect people, but they trusted me. You know, we looked at the story of, of Noah. We looked at the story of Abraham, people like that. Moses, they had faith in God, and they accomplished God's purpose. But there are other times when God puts stories in this book because he's calling us to avoid the mistakes of these people. And this is a case in point, King Saul. You might say that he's a reverse role model. When it comes to reaching your potential, don't live the way King Saul lived. Live a different way. So that's what we're going to do this morning. We're going to see some things that he did so that we won't do them so that we can reach the potential that God's placed in us. Are you ready to go? Okay, here we, here we go. This book begins at a time when there is chaos and confusion in the nation of Israel. They are asking Samuel, who's the prophet of the nation, for a king. They want to be like the other nations around them, these other pagan nations, because God, up until this point, has been their king, and they want a king they can see. They, they want a king they can touch. They no longer want God to be their king, even though God is the one who delivered them and the God who provided for them and, and the one who protected them. And so this is what we read in verse 6 of 1 Samuel chapter 8. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord, and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. And you can almost hear God's heart breaking. His people have rejected him as their king. So God does this. He says, you want a king? I'll give you a king. And that king is going to be a man named Saul. And we read about him, that he's from the tribe of Benjamin, and this is kind of interesting, too. It says that he was really tall. <clears throat> in fact, he was a head taller than everybody else in Israel. And as the story continues, we find that, that Saul is on a donkey hunt. His father has lost some donkeys, and he said, Hey, Saul, go find my donkeys. So that's what he's doing. And one of the guys with him says, Hey, Saul, this is really, this is really hard. We have no idea where these donkeys are, so why don't you, why don't you um, figure out a way to get in touch with Samuel because he's a prophet, and he could probably tell us where the donkeys are. And so what happens is Samuel and Saul have this meeting and Saul gets some really shocking news. He's been chosen by God 
to be the first king of Israel. Now, can you imagine that? And he's really reluctant. You know, the short story is he tells Samuel, hey, I'm not the guy. I mean, who is my family? Who is my tribe that I should be the king of Israel? But no, God has chosen him. And so there is this, this ceremony, this inauguration that's supposed to take place, and there's a lot of pomp and, and circumstance, and so the tribes and the clans come up, and they're going to choose the king. And this is what happens, and this is almost a comical scene. Take a look at this. It says, finally, Saul, son of Kish, was chosen but when they looked for him, he was not to be found. So they inquired further of the Lord, has the man come here yet? And the Lord said, yeah, but he's hidden himself among the baggage. I mean, think about that. If you're watching a presidential inauguration on television, you know, with all the news coverage, and it's time for the president-elect to step up to the microphone, and everybody's looking for him, the Secret Service can't find him, because he's hiding. That's what's going on here. Saul doesn't want to step up and take this position of servant leadership. Now, there's a very important principle here for us, and here's what it is. This is on your outline. When God calls you to serve, don't hide. Serve unselfishly. Throughout his life, Saul is reluctant to do that because he's not focused on the needs of other people. He's focused on his own needs, his needs for power and approval, his need for respect, but think about what would happen in the life of a person who took this seriously, a person who said, you know what, I want to be the person God made me to be, I want to step up and serve people unselfishly. What would happen in your family if everybody in your family did that? Would that change your family dynamics? How would that affect the church? What if we had a whole church of people who said, you know what, I am going to step up, I'm going to quit hiding I'm going to step up and serve my church family and my community unselfishly to the very limit of my potential. Can you imagine what would happen? Now, here's the problem. Because of the nature of the human heart, that is a lot easier said than done, as this video powerfully points out. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work week, and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get there? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guys, right? Say no more. If your baby's screaming, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. You know, financially, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we'd sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in the church service, can my car get a buff and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune-up. Hey, how about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious, if I'm gonna join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. Me Church, where it's all about you. That video is kind of like the life of Saul, don't be that kind of church. And BBCC Church family, let me say this, I am so encouraged by those of you who step up and serve week in and week out. And realize this, when you serve, three things happen. First of all, the needs of other people get met, and that's really important. 
Secondly, you encourage other people who are serving alongside you. And thirdly, and I think most importantly, it brings joy to God's heart. And realize this, church. This is so important. For our church to reach its potential, we need a new wave of servant leaders. We really do. Uh, Think about this. Every leader in the church, whether they're leading a children's ministry, a youth ministry, a small group ministry, whatever it happens to be, it could be an officer, it could be a pastor. Every leader is an interim leader. Every leader leads for a season in their life. And then they have to pass on that baton of leadership to somebody else. It's just inevitable. Now let me say this. I am so very thankful for the season of leadership that God has allowed me to experience here at Boynton Beach Community Church. I mean, I'm so thankful that, that God called me to be your pastor. And I'm thankful that God continues to call me as your pastor. Let me be clear. I have not received a new assignment from God. He's called me to be here and to serve, but I know this, that a day is coming when the baton of leadership will have to be passed. And so we need to prepare for that time now. We need new people to step up and unselfishly serve to reach their potential. And as people reach their potential individually, it helps the church reach its corporate potential. Because listen, there is a great story that God wants to write about Boynton Beach Community Church, and we're all a part of it. And so we need to do that. We need to step up and serve unselfishly. Now, that leads us to another story in the life of Saul that helps us understand how we can reach our potential. This is in chapter 15, and I'm going to be really be brief here because these stories are so rich, but I'm going to give you the Reader's Digest version. And, and here's the simple deal. Um, God tells Saul, hey, I want you to destroy this, this group of people. They're called the Amalekites because they're really evil and wicked. And God is basically saying, I'm a just God and this is what they deserve. So you are going to carry out my command. I want you to destroy them, destroy all their stuff. And basically Saul doesn't follow through. He does part of what God commands. Because, you know, he sees all these sheep and cattle and he goes, man, why destroy them? They look pretty good to me. And so he takes them for himself. Now, when Samuel the prophet confronts him, notice what he says. But uh, I did obey the Lord, Saul said. I went on the mission the Lord assigned me. Isn't that something? He knew it was an assignment from God. I completely destroyed the Amalekites and brought back Agad, their king. Now, notice what he says next. This is really amazing. This is like an example of really bad leadership. The soldiers, the soldiers took sheep and cattle from the plunder. It wasn't me, Samuel. It was these guys. So what does he do? He throws his own soldiers under the bus, or in this case, under the chariot. I didn't have anything to do with it. It, it was them. Um, they took the best of what was devoted, or they took the sheep and cattle from the plunder, the best of what was devoted to God. And notice this. This is really interesting. It wasn't for them or me. It was in order to sacrifice them to the Lord your God at Gilgal. And I can just imagine Samuel hearing Saul say this, and his heart is broken because Saul doesn't get it. Saul doesn't understand that every time he he lies, every time he blames somebody else, every time he makes an excuse, he is choking out the power and the presence of God in his life. It's true for us too, isn't it? You know, Samuel must have looked at Saul and thought, man, here was a guy with such potential. And here's what he says to Saul. But Samuel replied, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the voice of the Lord. 
And here's a classic statement from Scripture, to obey Saul is better than sacrifice. To obey is better than doing it your way instead of God's way. And here's a principle I want you to see. When you fail to follow God's instructions, how many of you have ever failed to follow God's instructions? Man, I have. Okay, what should we do? Well, don't make excuses. Own your failure. And if you want to live up to the potential that God's placed in you, this needs to be a habit. It needs to be a way of life. I was reading a story. It was shared by Zig Ziglar's brother about a guy who has a neighbor, and uh, this guy wants to borrow his neighbor's lawnmower. And he says, hey, man, can I borrow your lawnmower? And the guy says, no. He says, well, why not? He says, well, I read in the paper today that the uh, flights from Los Angeles to New York have been grounded. The guy goes, what? What does that have to do with me borrowing your lawnmower? The guy says, nothing. I just don't want you to borrow my lawnmower. So one excuse is as good as another. If you don't want to obey God, guess what? One excuse is as good as another. Listen, when God calls us out of the darkness, we need to step into the light. We need to quit making excuses. We need to stop spinning the truth and do what Saul did not do. We need to ask God to forgive us and accept his mercy and grace in our lives because that's how we reach our potential. Here's another story. Moving along quickly, this is in 1 Samuel 16. It says in verse 14, Now the spirit of the Lord had departed from Saul, and an evil spirit from the Lord tormented him. And we read that and go, what? What's up with that? An evil spirit from the Lord tormented Saul? What does that mean? Well, one translation says this, that it was a perplexing spirit that God allowed to come into Saul's life. And the idea here, I think, is this, that, that Saul is perplexed. He has this emotional pain. And what God wants to happen is for Saul to take that pain to him. To say, God, my heart is hurting. My heart is broken. Help me. That's not what happens. Check out these verses. It says, Saul's attendant said to him, See, an evil spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord command his servants here to search for someone who can play the harp. He will play when the evil spirit from God comes upon you. And you will, and what are the next two words? Feel better. And Saul says, okay. But there's just one, one really big problem. Saul doesn't want to deal with the cause of his emotional pain. He just wants to feel better. And here's what that means for us. When life is hard, don't cover up your emotional pain. Deal with the cause. Don't cover up the pain in your heart. Deal with what's causing the pain. When I was a, a firefighter and a paramedic, we would train rookies. And uh, these guys had not seen what we had seen or experienced what we had experienced. And there was one phrase that we used to jokingly use when we were training guys, and it was this, if it's ugly, cover it up. And the idea was, hey, listen, you know, if, if there's an injury and it's just gross and you feel like you're going to get sick to your stomach, just cover it up so you don't have to look at it. Of course, that was tongue-in-cheek because if you're going to help somebody who's hurt, you've got to examine that injury very, very carefully. But that statement describes what we often do when our heart is hurting. We cover it up, don't we? You know, if you're, um, if you're jealous, cover it up. If you're depressed, cover it up. If you're addicted, cover it up. If your marriage is falling apart, just cover it up. And see, like Saul, there are all kinds of ways that we seek to cover up our pain so that we can simply feel better. And we've all done that. I've done it. What do we do? We eat too much, we sleep too much, we work too much, we binge watch TV too much. Friends, the problem King Saul had is that when his heart hurt, 
Instead of seeking God, he was seeking relief. Because I'll tell you this, and you know this, you know this, pain in your heart can do one of two things. It can drive you closer to God, or it can drive a wedge between you and God. And the choice is yours. What God wants us to do when our heart is broken is turn to him so that we can experience his hope and his healing and his grace and his forgiveness. I mean, how would Saul's life have been different if instead of seeking relief, he sought God? And what about you and me? How can our lives be different going forward if instead of seeking relief, just trying to feel better, we turn to God? Because that's how we reach our potential. Here's another story that teaches us an important lesson from the life of Saul. And as the story continues, there's a new character that's beginning to emerge here, uh, a very charismatic leader, a young shepherd boy named David who kills a giant, Goliath. And he's winning the hearts and the minds of the people of Israel. I was thinking about his story and the story of Saul, and it reminded me of a, a character in a movie that I really enjoyed, Braveheart story of William Wallace, and there's some great leadership lessons in that movie, and here's one that I'd like to point out. Let's take a look at this clip. Wait. I respect what you said, but remember that these men have lands and castles. It's much to risk. And the common man that bleeds on the battlefield, does he risk less? But from top to bottom, this country has got no sense of itself. Its uh, nobles share allegiance with England. Its clans war with each other. Right. Right. If you make enemies on both sides of the border, you'll end up dead. We all end up dead. It's just a question of how uh, and why. I'm not a coward. I want what you want. But we need the nobles. We need them. Right. <laughs> now tell me, what does that mean to be noble? Your title gives you claim to the throne of our country. But men don't follow titles. They follow courage. Now, our people know you. Noble and common, they respect you. And if you would just lead them to freedom, they'd follow you. And so would I. That is such a powerful statement. That people don't follow titles. They follow what? Courage. And that's what's happening here in this story. Saul has the title. David has the courage. And people want to follow him. And we see that in these next verses. Look at this. It says, whatever Saul sent him to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army. This pleased all the people and Saul's officers as well. And then we read this in the next verse. When the men were, were returning home after David had killed the Philistine, that's a reference to Goliath, the women came out from all the towns of Israel to meet King Saul with singing and dancing, with joyful songs and with tambourines and lutes. As they danced, they sang, Saul has slain his thousands and David his tens of thousands. Now, how does Saul respond? Saul was furious. He was very angry. This refrain galled him. They have credited David with tens of thousands, he thought, but me with only thousands. What more can he get but the kingdom? And notice what it says here. And from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. Jealous of his success. 
And here's a principle from the story. When you see others succeed, don't envy them. Celebrate their success. Don't envy them. Celebrate their success. Let me ask you this. Honestly, how easy is it for you to celebrate the success of other people? I mean, when somebody gets a promotion at work, um, when they get a raise, when somebody else's child gets an award on stage, do you, do you celebrate that success or secretly are you saying, hey, that needs to be me. That should be my kid. Church, here's what's so important. If we're going to live up to our potential as individuals and as a church, we have got to let go of this, this natural inclination to be jealous and envious. And we need to celebrate the successes of other people and work together to accomplish God's goals. You know, I've been in church work for decades. And I've seen conflict and division in churches because of jealousy and envy and pride. But when we set all that aside and we say, it doesn't matter who gets the credit, God gets the glory, what happens to a church? Now that church is poised to reach its potential. What would have happened? Think about this. What would have happened if King Saul had not been jealous of David? What if they had worked together for the good of Israel? It would have been an entirely different story. Now let me quickly point out one last story about reaching our potential. This is really at the end of Saul's life. He is in serious trouble. Samuel has died. And now the Philistines are poised to attack Israel. They're only 15 miles from the Jordan River. And Saul doesn't know what to do. I mean, he is terrified. And he's tried praying, but God's not answering because of his rebellious heart. Saul doesn't want to repent and confess. And God says, well, I'm not, I'm not answering you. So Saul does the unthinkable. He goes to a witch. Now, here's why that was such a big deal. Saul had condemned and outlawed witchcraft in Israel. In fact, if you went to a witch, you could forfeit your life. But he is a desperate man and desperate Times call for desperate measures, so he disguises himself and he goes to consult this, this woman who's a, weed, a medium. They call her the Witch of Indoor. And it reminds me of a, a scene in a movie um, where Whoopi Goldberg is a medium, a spiritualist. It's in the movie Ghost. How many of you saw that years ago? And she's kind of a fake. And when she actually tries to bring somebody up from the dead, she is terrified. That's what happens in this story. It's really amazing. There's nothing new under the sun. Take a look at this. It says, Then the woman, the witch, asked, Whom shall I bring up for you? They're having this big seance. Bring up Samuel, he said, because Saul wants to ask Samuel what to do. And then it says, When the woman saw Samuel, because it actually worked, she cried out at the top of her voice. She was freaked out. She was terrified. Now, there really is an important principle here, and the principle is this. When you need guidance... Don't read your horoscope. Don't go online and look for psychics.com. Ask God what to do. Now, as the story plays out, Samuel actually has a conversation with Saul. And he tells him, hey, listen, here's what's going to happen. Tomorrow you're going to die. And your sons are going to die. And Israel is going to be defeated in battle. And all of it comes true. And so as we look at Saul's life, the totality of his life, there's one principle that emerges, and it's this. In order to reach your full potential, give God first place in your heart. This is what Saul failed to do. You know, like other kings, Saul did something in terms of his own fate. He took 
some of the truth of Israel's God and he mixed it with other belief systems from the pagan nations. It's called syncretism. And it's nothing new. I mean, there are people who go, you know what? I'm going to take a little bit of Christianity. I'm going to take a little bit of Buddhism. I'm going to take a little bit of New Age philosophy. And I'm going to get me a designer religion, a faith that works just for me. Reminds me of when my kids were little and we would go to eat and they had those soda machines and they would get a little bit of Mountain Dew and they get a little bit of Coke and a little bit of Sprite and a little bit of this and a little bit of that and just mix it all up. That's what Saul was doing. But there was a king who followed him who never bowed his knee to a false god or to an idol. Now he was a king who had his own struggles and challenges. He failed in many ways, but King David, when he disappointed God, when he sinned against God, he owned that failure. He got up, he repented, and he returned to God. And that's why the scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. And church, let me just say this in closing. There's such a contrast here between the life of Samuel and the life of Saul. When Samuel dies, the whole nation mourns his death. They loved Samuel. They knew that Samuel loved them. They, they were thankful for his devotion to God, for his courage, for his influence in their lives. But when Saul dies, David commands Israel to mourn. He actually writes a song and says, everybody has to sing this song because somebody's got to mourn the death of King Saul. There was mourning, but it was a different kind of mourning. They mourned because Saul never became the king or the man that God wanted him to be. And this is an intriguing thought. I think if you were to ask Saul, hey, hey Saul, what happened to you, man? I think he might say something like this. Well, you know, I didn't set out to be a bad king. I didn't intend to fail, but I just never got around to giving God first place in my life. So don't you make the same mistake that I made. And church, that is the cautionary tale for us. And so I want to encourage you this morning to do this. Take an honest look at your heart, an honest look at your life. How devoted are you to Jesus Christ? Really. I'm reading a book by a pastor. His name is Mark Batterson. The title of the book is All In. And he says this in the, in the book. He says, there are many people in churches in America who have bought into Christianity, but they're not sold out. So what about us? Are we just bought in to Christianity or are we sold out to God, putting him first in everything in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our businesses, in our finances, in every aspect of our lives because that's what God wants. And church, listen carefully. We need to ask God for the desire and the ability to put him first in everything because that is the only way we will ever reach the potential that God has placed in us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this, this story. Lord, it's many stories about King Saul and things that we need to avoid. And God, I pray this on this communion Sunday of all times when we celebrate the commitment of our Savior. Lord, help us to think about our commitment to you. God, help us to grow in our commitment to you. Give us the desire, God, to put you first in every area of our lives so that we can reach our potential for your glory. And God, right now, speak to us. God, teach us. Encourage us. Convict us. Lord, you know what we need right now. So I pray you'll provide it in Jesus' name. Amen.